Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John Von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. We're joined today by Dominic Kianese, who currently is Lou Wolf in the new Woody Allen show, A Secondhand Memory. Dominic, you've been on Broadway and off-Broadway in shows like Oliver and Scratch and Requiem for Heavyweight, The Rose Tattoo, Water Engine, Richard III, this past summer in uh, Central Park in the New York Shakespeare Festival's Much Ado About Nothing. And audiences across the country know you from a little television show called The Sopranos as Uncle Junior. We'll talk about Uncle Junior later. Let's talk about Lou Wolf first. The show that Woody Allen has written and directed, A Secondhand Memory. It's a story about a family in Brooklyn in the 1950s. You're the patriarch of the family. Talking about the theater, it's a very intimate theater. It's yeah. just, I'd say a couple hundred people, yeah. and you actually feel as though you're part of the set because the set kind of spills into the first row of the That's audience. That's true. That's true. It does. Yeah. yeah so you it's, feel very close yeah, to very you, close. the performers. Everybody's mentioned how, uh, how what a nice theater it is. And the family itself is a true American dysfunctional family in the sense that they're a loving family with a lot of problems, a lot of angst, and a lot of anxieties between one another. Yes, I think Woody's, you know, I, I, I don't think I can speak for, for Woody's uh, theme, but uh, to me it's the the pain that uh, these people are suffering uh, through wrong decisions and uh, broken dreams is really... Uh, What's the word? The uh, the audience the audience has, has really related to it. They find it in their lives. Last night, a friend uh, a friend uh, was reminded of a father who was kind of abusive to her mother, and uh, and uh, Lou Wolf has that that possibility too. He yells at his wife, and uh, he's mad at his son. He f- he's jealous of his brother-in-law, and there's a lot of uh, that kind of. He's, he's kind of mad at everything. Mad at the yeah. world. Yeah, mad and, at his own situation. And he's angry because he had been. Uh, his business had been robbed. He, he was he was robbed by his own friends, and uh, one time was beaten up. And uh, so there's a lot of angst there, a lot of pain there. Certainly, many of Woody Allen's plays and movies, mm-hmm. when he starts dealing with the period in the '40s and the '50s, I think of even something, um, any number of them, Radio Days, for example. Mm-hmm. There always seems to be this feeling that he's looking back at a part of his own life, yet. Unlike many of his works, there's not a Woody Allen character in this, mm-hmm. really, that, that we sense. Mm-hmm. Was there any conversation about whether this was triggered off of events or people in his past, or did was this totally, he just wanted to talk about the play? I think you'd have to, Woody did not communicate the uh, why he wrote the play, and uh, he sort of evaded any... any very pointed questions about the motivation of the characters, and I think he did it for a reason. I think he, he trusted the actors, he, and he, he did some very careful casting, and uh, he trusted us to, to glean it just by running it, running it, running it, running it, just by doing run-throughs of the plays, which I thought was kind of weird to do for theater, because I've never experienced that before. But now, looking back on it, I realized that he, that was his method, to let the actors uh, uh, figure it out for themselves. And uh, I prefer not to do it that way. I prefer to, to ask the director, why am I saying this? You know, 
but uh, but his uh, method actually worked. Now I realize that it worked. Well, I've read for years that on his films, because we we read more about the work he's done on films over the years, that he's kind of famous for he casts people and they show up and he tells them where to go and doesn't. But it doesn't direct. doesn't give them line readings. No. It's just. No. He trusts in in the people he, he he's got, and yeah. so that's that's true in the stage. In the it was true in this particular uh, uh, organic kind of process. But I was very frustrated because I was expecting uh, more of a motivation thing. I like to work in, uh, in a craft way. I like to to know exactly why I'm uh, screaming at this point, and exactly why I'm uh, not screaming at this point. And, and and Woody wouldn't help me on that, so it was very frustrating to me. What what, what, what did he say to you? Did he give you any direction? Like here's the way I envision the character. Or did he just say read this. Well, he would and say this it? is where he gets angry, and this is where he doesn't get. You know, but uh, and, and, and in an effort to please him, I found myself uh, just saying lines. And the first few previews, I was extremely extremely frustrated, and uh, I had never experienced that as an actor. Uh, the frustration because, of, but I realized it was coming from my intention to please a director. Because I think, uh, and you know, knowing who he is, and I knowing he wrote the play, I wanted mm-hmm. to please him. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, in a sense, not to be funny, but I feel like I was talking to William Shakespeare, talking about his plays, and William said, well, over here is what you do, this is what you do, and you, you trust it. But what happens, my process in that, in that process was being uh, uh, avoided. Well, and it was very frustrating. To and me. how how was the rest of the cast? Did you did you all have that, or did you work out between yourselves how to do that? Because it it, it is it doesn't sound like a up. typical no, process. He, and he, he Woody would 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 uh, infer, I think he inferred or implied that we should work it out between ourselves. But you said actors don't do that. The actors <laughs> need to know where they're going, and then they because you're all playing a game. You're like kids in a playground. Imagine well, if you're telling the kids work it out between yourselves. You know, they'll be throwing sand in each other's eyes, right? <laughs> well, let's just use an example. That's my your, idea. Your, your wife in the play, the character's name is Faye Wolf, is played mm-hmm. by Beth Fowler, who yes. most recently was in, uh, was in uh, The Boy from Oz, opposite yes. Hugh Jackman. wonderful. Now, you just said a few minutes ago that you spend, as a character, Lou Wolf, you spend a lot of time yelling at your wife. Yeah. Because of a lot of the character's own frustrations. Mm-hmm. So did you and Beth Fowler have to kind of like work out how the husband-wife relationship would be for this these two people? We look towards our director. Uh-huh. We look, all the actors look, because actors don't usually, as you know, don't usually give each other direction or, or make any suggestion. If you make a suggestion, you go to the director and he has to, mm-hmm. and he has, or she, he or she has to pronounce, yeah, you can try it, you know. But you never give an act. I've never done it in 50 years in a the theater. I've never, and I wouldn't want anybody to tell me how to direct, how to say a line. You know, you, you can't do that. You get chaos that way. But, w- but when the director, Woody Allen, is not giving you those directions, you still, you interpret you still uh, wait for the notes. Uh-huh. You wait for the notes. And all his notes were, were had nothing to do with motivation. They were, he, you know, Woody told me, he said, Domino, you had the character when you took the audition. He said, just <laughs> learned the lines and say that. And that was frustrating to me. Hmm. Well, did, did he ever tell you why he put you in that role? Did, did he see he said, I have, I have the ability to be explosive. And he said, uh-huh. uh, uh you know, an old buddy of mine was George C. Scott, and uh, he, he and he said, well, "You like George C. Scott?" He said, "He can have that ability to, to explode at the minute." And, and Lou Wolf is a little uh, crazy. He's a little uh, from his anger. He's he, he can explode, and I think that's probably why he probably cast me. Well, his his character is a guy the right who, age too. who has been slighted. 20 years earlier by this by his brother-in-law, brother-in-law and offended by his brother-in-law his yeah. brother-in-law has pretty much forgotten the whole incident the whole this incident, guy has yeah. dwelled on it all these years yeah the the uh, i've i've lived with uh, my wife and i have a son and a daughter i've had, i've had fights with my daughter too and uh, there's something there about uh, 
the plot, and we can talk about the plot. Are, I guess. are, you, are you talking uh, real life? No, we're talking about the you, plot. You're talking about the show. Okay, yeah. just wanted to clear oh, that up. Oh yeah, okay. we're talking about secondhand okay, right, memory. Lou right, Wilkes' okay. uh, problem with his, with himself, with his wife, and his his daughter, and his son. And the son is a big problem because the son doesn't want to continue the business, and Lou's intention is to uh, to build up a business, hand it over to his son, and uh, and, and and the wife suspects that. Uh, because of this incident that happened, that he doesn't really love her completely, and at some point he confesses that he he's 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 uh, he's very uh, when he tells his wife that he he appreciates her help and sacrifice. That's the last thing you can tell a wife because she wants to be loved. She doesn't want to be, you know, and she and it's, it hurts her feelings, but it's a truth. And uh, so it's that kind of a play where you have that a tension between the characters. But w- this was not explained to us. This we found out, uh, and it works uh, in some way. Uh, Woody's uh, non-direction really helped in the long run, because it's 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 uh, we've had to rely on our own uh, imaginations. And uh, so I'm finally getting uh, Lou Wolf's pain localized and uh, specific. I don't think you can act without being specific in your intention, and that's what I wasn't sure of. You see. There's, that's a frustrating part. Actors need to know, have 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 a feeling of uh, of uh, truth to themselves. You, we know when we're being phony, you know. An actor always knows when he's just saying the line, just for the sake of saying the line. Well, let's talk then about some of your other stage experiences and the directors. Who, who, what have been the experiences that have been most rewarding to you? I mean, you were you gave such a lovely performance this summer in the Much Ado in Central Park. Yeah. Um, but that's me responding. Who, who, what have been the most successful for you? Well, I've worked with uh, we're talking theater, and I've worked with uh, the, the best directors I've found are, are the are the ones that uh, are watching you very carefully, and they, they'll suggest they'll suggest something. Because um, uh, when we when I was at Long Wharf, you know, we we did plays. Uh, Lloyd Richards at Yale Rep would. Uh, would encourage me. Uh, I think it, I think this question cannot be answered for all actors. I think it, it depends on personality. My personality is, I like to, I like to be patted by the director, whoever he or she is, and say, "Go ahead, Dominic, see what you're doing." And then they make suggestions, and and there's a nice feeling of I like to please, and I think that's how I work. I'm, uh, you know, I like to please, and uh, but I also need help too because I need to. Uh, I need to be told that uh, I'd like to show the director something, and then if it works, if the director doesn't say anything, to me it's fine, you know. But if they're going to say something, say something that makes sense to me as an actor, so I can, so I can be encouraged to go further with it. Because I wait for inf- I wait for the muse, I wait for an emotional truth to come through. Once that happens, then I can start flying as an actor. I wait for that, and. Uh, I, uh, I always wait for that uh, that imaginative and uh, emotional connection. And then when it happens, then I just fly with it. I've had very little direction over the years, hmm. in, in a sense, because uh, I, I trust my emotional muse, and, I, and uh, I wait for that. And if, I don't get, if, I, if I'm not getting near or closer to it, then I get very frustrated. And that's what happened with Secondhand Memory, because I was trying to please the director too much without knowing why. Hmm. And then when you finally get that direction from him... Do you then welcome it, or I got the freedom from Woody. Freedom. He said, Let's re- the freedom. Woody said, "Look, Dominic." He says, "All right." He said, "All right." He said, "All right." Just do it your way. He said, "But 
And I said, Woody, it's going to go deeper and deeper. He said, all right, just, just leave me alone. But, but in the beginning, he was getting everybody doing run-through, run-through, run-throughs. I never had time to say, wait a minute, why am I saying this line? You know, Because he had seven actors working on run-throughs. And but as you were doing those run-throughs, did you then get closer to the character Lou Wolf? Did you find them? As I was doing the run-throughs, I found that I was just concentrating on the lines. I wasn't getting through. I, mm-hmm. I had to learn it w- with doing the preview of the audience, and that was that's what was frustrating to me. Well, now once, you're, once you're performing in front of an audience, you can't, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. You've got to get it within that four weeks, at least to know where you're headed. Yeah, once it's in front of a live audience, it's Probably, out there. It's, yeah, you're out yeah. there, and, I, and I, ended my, yeah. I ended up screaming a lot. Well, now that you're a month or so into the run of the show. Now it's different. Now I have, uh, at home, I do my homework. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. It's, it's, it's a question of homework, but at least I know I have the freedom now to think about it. Does, I'm trying to does Woody it. Allen come back and visit the show now and give you notes, or is it He came back about three weeks ago, yeah, and he was very pleased with what's happening. He uh-huh. said, you're going in the right direction. You know, he patted me on his shoulder, and, and that's what I need. I need that kind of stuff. And I have to know I'm in the right direction, at least. It's weird, but it's <laughs> it's truthful. That's the way I am. That's the way I work. Not all actors work that way. Yeah. You know, the, the great Mike Gazzo, God bless his soul, once told me years ago when we worked on Godfather, he said, you take Dominic there. He said, Dominic will give you the performance, but you've got to better wait for it. <laughs> you know, and he was, a good, he was a good teacher. And I had never worked with Mike, but he just knew instinctively the kind of a actor I was. Everybody has different personalities, you know. Well, it's an interesting situation for you when you when you come to the stage because you've had this extraordinary experience of playing some icon, certain iconic characters. Certainly, anybody yeah. who well, I'm I'm even I'm not thinking Shakespeare. I'm thinking mm-hmm. Uncle Junior, who is now such a figure oh, yeah. in the popular culture, exactly. or any figure in the Godfather movies. There are people out there who are absolute disciples of these films. Yes, how do you think that's impacted? you your work or how you're perceived by people because they're they may come in now saying i'm going to see uncle mm-hmm. junior or i'm going to see johnny ola yeah how how has that affected uh your work I, I pay no attention whatsoever to that i very rarely watch myself uh and i like i've said many times there's no such thing to me as a stereotype so i pay no attention to it uh to me it's it's the script i'm very text oriented which is one of the reasons secondhand memory, I was I, I felt frustrated because I want to know why. And Woody would say to me, like, well, don't worry about the lines. You can, you can change them around if you want. Really? I said, no. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, Woody, I won't do that. I said, I, there, was, there was a scene where I said, I, I was anxious. I, he said, you can drop the eye. I said, no, I don't want it. It's written on the page. I'm going to uh-huh. do it. I, uh-huh. I'm very text-oriented. And to me, that gives me the, the, that's the mortar for me to lay the brick. So even though he gave you the freedom to Yeah, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do really? it. And I told him. I said, no. I said, I pay. So he said, oh. I said, all right. I would imagine you'd find other actors who would love the freedom to do what they not wanted. To me, not to me, it's not. Not when you're doing live theater. I like to see it down. I mean, I, you know, I couldn't. You know. Now, I got to pick up on something you just said because it yeah, goes sure. back to the beginning. The comment about it's the mortar to lay the brick. Right. You started as a bricklayer and you're still using in in professionally and you're still using that terminology. Yeah, I have to because Pop always said to me, lay one brick and lay it right, you know, and, and then uh, – and then and I always tie that into the text because of the uh, because you have to work moment to moment in theater. I learned that from a great teacher, Walt Woodcover. Walt is still around. He just wrote a book called Living on Stage. This is a commercial for my acting teacher. <laughs> I had three acting teachers in my life that really helped a lot. I had more than three. I mean, you had Lloyd Richards. You had uh, uh, Bernie Barrow, God bless him, and uh, Wilson Lair from Brooklyn College. Those two guys helped me tremendously. Lloyd Richards helped me uh, uh, Long Wolf, 
Yale rep. Also, I mean, Arvin Brown at Longworth. Arvin Brown helped me tremendously just by just by the encouragement and 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 putting me in roles and you know everybody helped me. Al Pacino helped me as an actor. I worked with Al and and and, and a play. And I learned so much from him just from the intensity of concentration. You know, uh, but Walt Whitcover had the key to unlocking some emotions when I was about thirty-one years old at HB Studios, and. Uh, that was the key for me, opening the emotions. He taught me to play the moment. We were doing Shono Casey Jr. on a Paycock, and I was playing Donald Averin. No, not Shuno, uh, not Paycock. Uh, uh, Shadow of a Gunman. Uh, Shadow of a Gunman. I played this Irish uh, Donald Averin, who was a, a poet in a living in a Dublin tenement. And uh, one of the young girls comes up and thinks he's an IRA gunman, so, so she, she gets romantic. She tries to get romantically involved in him, and he's just a poet. And I'm doing the scene, and, and, and Walt said to me, what are you doing in the scene? I'm a poet. He says, what are you doing? I said, I'm writing a poem. He says, well, write the poem. Really write the poem. And it was something about celandine and flowers. And it dawned on me that I really have to write the poem. I can't be acting writing the poem. Really write the poem. Let the moment go. Don't worry about the next line. So that was the craft that I had to learn. To trust is the word he used. Uh... And then after I did that, he gave me an exercise where he asked me to talk about my grandfather, who was a stonemason. I'm getting around to the bricklaying. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and grandpa, grandpa's stonemasonry uh, as a craft, as you know. So he said to me, your grandfather died three years ago. This is 1963, and my grandfather died around 1960. And he said, can you describe him to me? I don't know what Walt was doing to me, but I was describing my grandfather. I was describing his hands. I was describing the... The, uh, the, uh, the hammer and the chisel and, and all of a sudden the tears started to flow they started to flow and they must have flowed for about five minutes and everybody in the class was very quiet and I, I went through this epiphany of some kind and Walt said that's what you have to do when you act he said that, and he opened the key to me so he taught me that there's an emotional mm-hmm. subtext to words he told me to trust that up until that time in 63 I'd been doing mostly comedy Comedy is a different thing. Hmm. You can be funny, but you know the emotions. Is comedy is another little. It's a little imp in you that you can do. But the but the role, but Chekhov, Shakespeare. You need you need imagery. You need something there to to fuel your uh, your acting. And he taught me that uh, you have to play each moment. So it's like laying one brick on a line. Don't just throw a sloppy brick in there because it's going to screw the whole line up. You got to mm-hmm. do each brick right. You got to lay one layer out, like Papa said. So. So I learned to trust that and, and that kind of uh, listening to the other actor, really trusting the moment. Now, you were originally a bricklayer before becoming an actor, and you grew up in the Bronx. How did you get it? How I think and I when was a singer first. No, I think I, was, I think I was a performer as a child. I was very much encouraged by really? my parents. Yeah, As a child? As a child, just come on, sing in front of the family. For the family, no, but not, not, the 30s, not professionally. So. No, no, just for the family. I grew up in the I was born in 1931. So, when it, you know, it was the end of the... the it was, you know, it was like a middle, beginning of the Depression, practically. So in, in those days, you know, the, the families had a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. I was the first grandchild. I was spoiled. So uh-huh. come on up, sing, sing for us, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I was encouraged to perform. And you were growing up in the Bronx? Growing up in the Bronx, yeah. Where did you with first perform uh, publicly? In school plays or did you, or professionally? Probably in PS74. I remember being one of the signers of the Constitution. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you're a kid, and you and you look down, and you have a silver buckle on your shoe, and it's it's after school hours, and uh-huh. it's 
You know, it's a very romantic kind of a thing. And I knew then, I think, that there was something special about the stage. And then when did you first start working professionally? Then I was 20 years old, and uh, my, my fa- the famous story about my father on the bricklayer bus. And I said, Pop, can I get off on East 74th Street? I'm going to this place, the Jan Hoos Playhouse, you know. Gilbert and Sullivan was... Uh, it was uh, I was in back of the bus reading the Herald Tribune, and uh, and I noticed the singers wanted... Jan Hoos Playhouse, 351 East 74th Street, American Savoyards. And I and I, I just got up, and I walked to the front of the bus, and I said to Pop, hey, Pop, can I get off at East 74th Street? The bus was coming down from the Bronx on 2nd Avenue, and it was about 90th Street. And uh, I said, can I get off the bus at East 74th Street? I want to go to an audition. And he, and he, he looked at me, and he said, an audition? He said, what's that? Mm-hmm. I said, well, for singing. I think if I had said acting, I wouldn't be sitting here today. <laughs> I said singing. <laughs> singing was okay. Singing was okay. He said, singing, yeah, okay. And I got the job, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was my first professional job, Gilbert and Sullivan. Well, people who have watched you as Uncle Junior yeah. on The Sopranos probably don't picture you as a singer. No, not at all. But you are, in Except fact. Except we've seen you on the yeah. show, sing on the show. Yeah, and David Chase, God bless me, he's... He, he used my talent as a singer, yeah. And, yeah. in fact, you do sing. Is it Monday evenings at Sophia's here in yes, the Times Square? Yes, I'm going to be area. there. I'm going to be there for another couple of months. Then we're going to go to a new venue. But uh, I'm at Sophia's at uh, 221 West 46th Street every Monday, yeah. Well, I just happened to have your CD, Ungrateful Heart, here. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> it's a collection of some good songs, good Italian songs. It's a wonderful song. Yeah, tell us about the songs, and let's let's play one from it. Most of them are Neapolitan songs, like Santa Lucia and... Uh, Oi uh, Mari and Solo Mio, Malafem, in the Neapolitan dialect, which sort of fits the uh, the passion of the song. Goringrada also is, is sung in the Neapolitan dialect. This particular song, uh, Ungrateful Heart, seemed to uh, strike a chord with David Chase. I was at a party at Lorraine Bracco's house, and I was singing some Italian songs for her father. I had mm-hmm. my guitar there, and David came over to me. Um, and said to me, Dominic, what does that line mean, tu non pensi su dolore mio? I said, well, it means that you don't think of my pain. He said, oh, I see. And a year later, he puts it into the script. He said, I don't want you to sing as Uncle Junior. <laughs> On the show. But he understood because it sort of wrapped up that third season uh, where the kids were ungrateful to, to what the father was trying to give them, what Tony was trying to be a father. Because mm. it's really a family show when you think about it, his, his pain with his children and his own uh, misery. But it's... Uh, so Ungrateful Heart fit, and Uncle Junior, in a, in a moment of uh, having a couple of glasses of wine, is, is, uh, decides to sing this particular song, and, and it's very, very, very uh, nostalgic. And, very and that's the song, Cording Grada, Ungrateful Heart. It's about, why did you leave me, and uh, you, don't, you don't understand my pain, and I gave you my whole life, and you took my life away from me, and I can't uh, forget you. The actual singing voice of Dominic Chianese, Ungrateful Heart. You wrote one of the songs on this uh, CD. Yes, I did. Wh- which uh, one is it? I wrote the uh, song A Napolitano, which was a, an, um, an homage to uh, my grandfather, who uh, always encouraged me as a boy to sing, just by him singing by the window. He would sing a cappella by the window, and I'd, I'd listen to him sing these 
I, I didn't realize at the time. I thought he was just singing for himself, but he was really singing because he knew I liked music. Because mm-hmm. he took his other grandchildren out mushroom hunting or getting eels or in the park. But he, with me, he would keep singing. I realize now he, he knew his grandchildren very well. And uh, so he, he's been an inspiration to me. And the song just says exactly what he was, uh, a man who came to America and would sit by the window and sing a cappella about his hometown in Naples because he, uh, he came here at 23 years old and never had never gone back. You know, he built, built his family here, and he sang with passion, even though he was not a professional singer. He was a stonemason. So I know, you know, and he would sing Mama and things like that. And uh, uh, Well, we've, we've mentioned... The Sopranos several times. We've mentioned Uncle Junior a few times. We we must talk about that. How did sure. this? How did that come about? How did you get the, the role as Uncle Junior? I auditioned for it, uh, nineteen whatever ninety seven, I guess it was, uh, and uh, uh, the the page that I auditioned with was the opening scene that eventually I had done with the with the great actress Nancy Marchand, and uh, Uncle Junior is telling his sister in law that he's he's going to he wants to bump off her son. And I said, wow, I mean, how could, this has got to be either a crazy comedy or a very, very, very dramatic writing. And, and I realized what a great scene that is. We, you know, and I could easily identify with that. It's like, you know, an Italian man, an Italian American man telling the mother that he's going to bump off her son. <laughs> and I said, what a powerful thing. What a story this mm-hmm. must be, you know. And uh, so in addition, I knew, I sort of instinctively knew that this was not a uh, comedy. This was a very strong dramatic situation, and, uh, and and I remember hearing David Chase laughing a little bit, a real kind of a laugh. And I said, "I have a chance to get into this character." But I sort of intuited him. I can imagine what he was like, and uh, I knew I was the right age. And so I auditioned, and in the second audition, I think I nailed it. And I, it's so I was lucky. Well. The show you're in now, Secondhand Memory, yeah. Off-Broadway, right. and The Sopranos, a lot of similarities in those families. They're loving but dysfunctional. They, they have a lot of problems, a lot of interpersonal problems and all that. Do you specialize in this sort of thing, or has it just been happening for you that way? No, I think perhaps perhaps at some point I may have to look back on myself and really take stock of myself as an yeah. actor, but I really don't know, John. I really don't know what I what I present. to. I do know that I haven't... Uh, there's a passion there that comes through. I mean, I can play anger. Most actors can play anger, but the anger must be, has to be tuned in fine to each character. You know, Uncle Junior's anger is a lot different from uh, Lou Wolf's anger. Lou Wolf's anger comes from, comes from uh, the the fact that he he was he was personally attacked, his, his business, and then he's frustrated, and he had given up a love, and and lived with a woman that he didn't really love. He was just, you know, he appreciated her. It's a different kind of pain. Uncle, Uncle Junior's pain is is different, so the scripts are differently. So I really can't make a comparison, to be honest with you. And I don't look at it as a comparison. A couple of questions that America sure. wants to know. Mm-hmm. Is this really the last season of <laughs> Sopranos coming up? I'd like to know it, too. <laughs> You'd like to know it also? I, I have a feeling it is. I have a uh, feeling it is. Uh, I know that it's not easy to write this stuff, and uh, uh, it could be. But uh, you never know. It's all di- it depends on what David wants to do and what you know what the actors want to do. But... Uh, and, and, and who's going to get who's going to get whacked in the new season? We have no idea. <laughs> we really don't. How, how far in advance we, do you, the actors, we get, find we out get the script? The maybe luckily a week in advance if we get it. But you don't know where the story is really going over the season. No, no, no. You would have to ask David point blank, and, and uh-huh. I would never even 
I would never do that. So you just kind of learn as you go along. As you go along. Well, you know the character now. We know. We, we sort of know how the character. But you don't really know what's going to happen to Uncle no, Junior. I have no idea. He, he could he, end up himself. He can, he can get whacked in the first, whacked, the first yeah. episode of the of the new season. Hmm. You never know. It's got to so, be exciting for you as well as for the viewers. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's a great show to be. <laughs> Well, um, you sing at Sophia's on Monday evenings. Mm-hmm. You're in a second-hand memory, which is at the Atlantic Theater Company uh, off-Broadway here in Manhattan. The show runs through January 23rd, yes, I believe. Yes, it does, yeah. You're playing Lou Wolf in that. So other than this and The Sopranos, anything else coming up for you? No, but I have dreams. I dreams. Have dreams. Oh, yeah. Don't I we dream. all? <laughs> yeah. My big dream is to be the Italian-American Lawrence Welk. That's what I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> so a whole speak. new channel for XM. <laughs> the Lawrence, we, we have one already, a Lawrence Welk channel. <laughs> Dominic, thank you so much for being with us today on Downstage Thanks, Center. Sir. Thank you, Howard. Thank you Dominic, so thank you. Yeah, For the American Theater Wing, Bruce. I'm Howard Sherman, reminding all of our listeners that this program and all of our programs, as well as the other media programs, the American Theater Wing, are available online from our website as streaming audio and video at www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Susten, and for Downstage Center, that's a wrap, and thank you.